that um, we were coming back from our Christmas in Des Moines yesterday, and I was discussing with my daughter, Kelsey, things I'd missed this year, and one of the things I missed was I had not heard Oh Holy Night yet, so you just made my Christmas, so thank you so much for sharing that, appreciate it. We've been talking throughout this season about following the perfect light and trying to figure out what that might mean for our lives, and uh, today we're finally going to get to the story of those magi who followed that star. And so I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles and follow along with me. Matthew chapter 2. There's lots of debate and discussion about the Magi and who they were and where they came from and just when they came. Most people understand that they came well after the actual birth. Um, and here's the story. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear the reason why people think that they came so, so much later. But we're going to look at Matthew 2, verses 1 to 16. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called them together with the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I will call my son. But when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So... As Mel mentioned, there's probably no better day than today to think about your past year and to start thinking about your coming year. So I have a question about that. The question is, of all the days in 2017, how many of the days were special days and how many of the days were ordinary days? Can you do just a little calculation in your head? Special days versus ordinary days. And turn to your neighbor and tell them what you think the number is. How many special days you had and how many ordinary days? Yeah. 
What do you think? Every day was a special day. Good answer. It's not true, but nice try. Did we have more special days or more ordinary days? Yeah, there's a lot more ordinary days. And if you're thinking about 2018 coming up, there's going to be some really special days. They're going to be awesome. But there's going to be a whole lot more ordinary days because a good chunk of our life is lived with the ordinary. We might also call it maintenance because life needs upkeep or it falls apart. So you have to stay attentive to these kind of things. We spend most of our days and much of our energy simply just holding life together, just trying to keep, just trying to keep things going. We make beds and mop floors and do dishes. We wash our clothes and iron our clothes and sometimes fold our clothes or put them on hangers. Our cars need to be gassed up and washed up and lubed up. Our bodies need to be cleaned and groomed and fed and exercised and rested. And we do these ordinary things over and over and over again day after day, right? This is part of life. We have a lot of ordinary work. And my, I guess, thesis for today is that in order to have a really flourishing life, we have to be really good at the ordinary stuff. You've got to get the ordinary work down. It's a vital part of flourishing. So, for example, if you want flourishing health, then you have to get the ordinary stuff down of like following a good diet and getting good exercise. You have to follow that stuff well in order for flourishing. You want to follow a plan to be debt-free that leads to flourishing finances. You want to follow a daily reading plan to get spiritual vitality if we're reading our Bibles every day. You want to practice piano every day if you want to become a great flourishing pianist, right? You want to brush your teeth two minutes, two times a day if you want good breath, right? And good teeth. These are normal kind of maintenance things. Following is hard work, following these routines, these daily things, but it's really important. And these steps over the long haul help us to succeed. And the thing that really helped me think about that this week was looking at the story of the Magi, thinking about how hard it must have been for them to follow the star. Now, you guys did a really good job following Alan around the room here, and it was kind of nice, clear, smooth, warm, all that. But the Magi's journey was probably a little bit differently. And following can be super hard. And the reason why I know following can be hard is because there's been lots of research on following New Year's resolutions, and this research is not very encouraging. So I don't know if any of you are into that. You're going to make New Year's resolutions tonight or tomorrow. 92% of you will fail, just so you know. Only 8% of people ever keep a New Year's resolution. So following can be super hard. So let's think about how well the Magi did following the star. They were watching the night sky. There's lots of speculation about what they were, astrologers or astronomers. or are they, They're interested in the sky, so they're looking up. And they're trying to see a star as an indication of some, something special that's going to happen. And this was kind of a common ancient practice, that they're looking for a bright star, a collection of stars, a constellation, to indicate that some famous person is, is going to be born. They took these, signs as, these stars as signs for that. So they saw an unexpected star, and it was super bright, and they decided, we're going to go follow that. They're not sure exactly what the star was indicating, and they were not exactly sure where the star was leading them, but they decided that they were going to follow it. And they committed themselves to follow, and whoever they found at the end of the star, they were going to worship. 
Now, Matthew tells us that they were looking for the king of the Jews, but that doesn't actually get revealed to them until much later. So I suppose that as they begin their journey, they have no idea where they're going and they have no idea who they're going to find. And yet they made this commitment to go. Now, if you saw a star in the east and made a commitment to follow it, how long would you follow it before you gave up? Ten miles? A hundred miles? Now, remember, in this day... Their entourage is traveling by foot. They maybe are wealthy, so they get to ride the camels, which I'm not sure is a big improvement over being on foot. But uh, if you were going to travel 100 miles at a brisk march, you could probably travel 100 miles by foot in a week. But if you're traveling with a large entourage on this, it's probably going to take you weeks to travel 100 miles. Okay, So you're following a star that's leading you to an unknown place to find an unknown person. How long would you follow? 200 miles? 300 miles? Most people speculate that the Magi traveled at least 600 miles on foot or camelback to follow the star to an unknown person in an unknown location. That takes commitment, doesn't it, to follow? So as they're following, I'm sure that they probably lost their way and my mother-in-law is always telling great stories about this. She actually likes to pass out little poems on her dresser, and Mark and Cindy can verify. This one's currently sitting up right there on her dresser. It's, If the wise men had been women, as we saw this morning, this is what they would have done. They would have asked directions. They would have arrived on time. They would have helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought appropriate gifts. But these were magi, and they were no doubt men, and so their journey took them who knows where for over 600 miles for what most people speculate was from six months to two years traveling, following a star. Would you follow that long? Any of you? No, I don't think so. I wouldn't. But they were committed to following the star, and that kind of commitment required slow, steady, step-by-step day-by-day commitment to keep going. They have to make the commitment to follow. Matthew describes what happened near the end of their journey. This is what he says in, in Matthew 2. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Because, you know, if the king is bothered, then everybody's nervous. That's why all of Jerusalem is disturbed, because this guy is a maniac, and he would do crazy things. So if he's disturbed, everyone else is worried. So he called together the chief priests and the elders, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, and he actually had them interpret Scripture, and they determined that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. Now, it's no big shocker that King Herod is disturbed by this, because he was a tyrant trying to keep a firm grasp of his power, and so now he's threatened and no doubt afraid of what this new king could mean. So news of the star is not good news because it indicates that maybe another king has been born, and maybe it's going to be the king of the Jews. That's bad. So he brings the Magi into a secret meeting, which should be concerning. Secret meetings are bad. He says to them, go search for the child, and when you find him, tell me about it because I want to worship him too. Now we all know the story, so we know Herod's a liar. He has no intention whatsoever of worshiping this child. He does not want to honor him. He doesn't want to give him gifts. There's no good thing that's going to come because of this news to King Herod. 
So the Magi get their marching orders, they march off to Jerusalem, and then it sounds like the star reappears, or they see it again, the way I'm reading it. Suddenly, the star was there again, they saw it, and they were overjoyed. And the thing that jumped out from this passage when I was dwelling in it this week was that phrase, overwhelmed with joy, that something about this was exciting, and I'm trying to figure out what that is. Are they so excited? Because now they recognize they're less than six miles to go. They've gone uh, 600 or more. Now Bethlehem's only six miles, just over, just under six miles from Jerusalem. Maybe that's what brought joy. Their joy because they confirmed they, they were going the right direction. They are in the right place. They ended up there at the right time. They're maybe overwhelmed with joy because it sounds like there is potential for there to be a king at the end of this journey. They're going to find this newborn king. They're overwhelmed because they realize that they have this deep gratitude for what they've accomplished for the journey they've made and for what they're about to see. For, what, for some reason, all of this combines in them to just overwhelm them with great joy so that their, their only response would be like to worship and to thank God, to, to give gratitude to God. It's such a, a great moment in the story. And it made me wonder if, if you ever have been overwhelmed with that kind of joy, just a joy that just causes just this deep immediate response of worship and reaction to God of just gratitude and deep thanks. Ever have that? I had, I've had a couple in the last few weeks. One of them was not necessarily directed at God, but to my wife. Um, she does these great creative Christmas things. Like last year, she did the 12 days of socks of Christmas. So I got all the fun socks. I think I showed you some of those. I'm, by the way, wearing Star Wars socks today, in case you're curious. Um, <laughs> This year was mooses because when we were on vacation this summer in Estes Park, we got like within about 50 feet of a moose and it was eating in the lake and I got like a thousand pictures of this moose and it was just the coolest thing. We sat there for an hour and watched him and then finally walked off. So this year was the 12 days of moosemus. And uh, one day I walked into the house and there's a little chalkboard there waiting for me and it says, say, Alexa, how much does a moose weigh? And all of a sudden, this voice comes from nowhere that says, a moose weighs however many pounds a moose weighs. And I'm just like geeked out. Like, this is so great. I got one of those little echo things. And that has brought me more joy in the last week than you'll know. But the, the other time I felt overwhelmed, maybe with the kind of joy the wise men were feeling, was a week ago. And I was sitting right here in this chair, and Darlene was playing a beautiful introduction to the song, What Child Is This?, if you were here for one of the services, you heard that. Something about the tone of the organ with the way you played that was so moving to me. And then we started to sing the song, What Child Is This Who's Laid to Rest on Mary's Lap Is Sleeping? And I was so overwhelmed with deep gratitude for this gift of this baby. I couldn't even sing. It was just such a, it was one of those moments when you go, what a wonderful thing we're celebrating when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Just overwhelmed with joy. That's the kind of joy these magi were experiencing as they saw this star and they realized they were about to see this newborn king. And so they went and they worshiped and they no doubt um, reveled in that joy. But then they had a decision to make. They're there in front of this baby experiencing this great joy and they could stay there and just maybe try to suck as much out of that as they could, to enjoy that moment for as long as they could. They could have just said, let's camp out here. Let's, let's live here with the Mary and Joseph and the baby, and let's enjoy it. That was one option. 
Or they could return to Herod and make a report, tell Herod what they found. Or they could just go home by another way other than Jerusalem. And this is what Matthew tells us in Matthew 2.12. Having been warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they left their, for their own country. They went home. So the Magi followed this star. They experienced overwhelming joy. And then they went home. 600 miles back home. Day by day and step by step to get back where they started. They refused to be bullied by King Herod and go back to him, but they also refused to stay there in that moment. They decided to go on with life, which was no doubt a whole lot less joyful than the moment they experienced when they were there with the child, because I'm guessing that the moments on this 600-mile journey had a lot of maintenance dealing with dusty roads and hungry camels and sore backsides. Yeah? So have you ever wondered what happened to the Magi when they went back home? That's where my mind went this week as I was dwelling in that passage. Did they live happily ever after where their lives changed dramatically because they saw this baby? Or was it business as usual? Go back to the life they had. After this great adventure, what really happened to the wise men? Well, of course, we don't know. So this is all speculation, all imagination. But I really do wonder if it makes a difference if we've seen the baby Jesus and celebrated Christmas and the birth of Christ, and then we go back to an ordinary Monday morning, which might involve taking out the garbage or changing diapers or paying bills or working long hours or driving carpools or taking tests or figuring out our taxes or brushing our teeth or a thousand and one other ordinary tasks that are going to fill up our life from this point forward. What is life like after following the star, is my question. After we box up the tree and straighten up the house and go back to school, are we not a lot like the wise men going back to this long journey home? This past Tuesday, I got up early to do my morning maintenance of jogging, and I'm going to the Y now because it's cold, so I start my car up and my radio is on the station that's playing all Christmas all the time, and it's the Tuesday after Christmas, and they're not playing Christmas songs anymore, and I was mad. (laughs) Can't you just play one more day of Christmas songs? One more day? Is that too much to ask? And then it dawned on me, Christmas is over for another year. That's it. In the, in the world's calendar, we had Christmas Day, and now it's Tuesday morning, so you're taking all your stuff back to the store and getting back to your routine, your ordinary life. Is this all there is? And the truth is, yeah, it is back to our ordinary life. That's true. But I don't think that's all there is. I don't think it's just a momentary enjoyment or entertainment or just another thing. I think it's a really important thing that we have these special days to guide our, norm, our normal ordinary days. And the church picks up on this. So there's a church calendar, and we don't pay a ton of attention to this, but maybe some of you grew up in traditions where you follow the church calendar closely. We followed it somewhat, so we do follow it. The church calendar actually starts with Advent, which we just celebrated with the candles, remember? So Advent starts... The year starts, and 
the special times in the church calendar are about remembering big moments in Christ's life. So Advent is about thinking about His coming to be born and also thinking a little bit about His coming again. So these are really big moments in Christ's life. And then the church calendar goes to Christmas, which actually doesn't start till Christmas Eve. So if you're following the church calendar, you're not supposed to do Christmas before Christmas Eve. And then you get 12 days of Christmas, the song, 12 days of Christmas, which starts from Christmas Eve and goes on. So we're actually in the Christmas season right now. And then after that comes Epiphany, which is, if you're paying attention, actually next Sunday, and it's the Sunday we're supposed to talk about the wise men. But we get squeezed in by the year's calendar, so we try to jam this all in together for you. Those are special times in the church calendar. The other special time in the church calendar is Lent, when we think about Christ's death and His suffering, His passion. And that leads up to the Easter season, which starts on Easter, and then there's an Easter season that goes, and then we're back to normal time. Now, the church calendar has a name for these days that are not special. Do you know what the days for the non-special days are on the church calendar? Ordinary time. They call it ordinary time. And in the church calendar, there are 18 weeks of special time and 34 weeks of ordinary time. We acknowledge that. There's more ordinary time than special time, even in the way we set up our calendar. Ordinary time and was, is when we remember all the things that Jesus has done for us, and we remember them in the normal routine, even in our mundane life. We remember what Christ has done for us. That's what happens in ordinary time. Like the wise men remembering the star while they're traveling 600 miles back home. For those of us who've seen the perfect light of Jesus in special times, that's supposed to carry us through all of the ordinary times, maybe even through all the difficult times. The sense of wonder, the overwhelming joy that comes, the deep gratitude that we feel in those moments, that carries us step by step, day by day, through everything that we experience. So as you're looking at 2018, you're thinking there's going to be a lot more ordinary time than special time, but this deep gratitude of what God has done for us carries us through it all. So this morning, I brush my teeth, and I do it for two minutes because I have a powered brush that runs for two minutes. Otherwise, I cheat. This is a mindless habit that has been ingrained in me since before I can remember. Thank you, Mom, for teaching me to brush my teeth. I brush my teeth every day, and sometimes the sheer kind of necessity of it kind of frustrates me. I'd like to skip some days. I do skimp on the flossing. I wish I could stop, but I don't because I don't want cavities, and I don't want gum disease, and I don't want bad breath. So I brush every day. Sometimes the demands of the ordinary, the relentless demands of the everydayness, are actually good for us. And they actually can result in a, a different kind of joy. I've been thinking about that this week. I love rubbing my tongue over my teeth when they're clean. Anybody else? After I get, especially after I go to the dentist, which I hate to do, but after he cleans my teeth, hmm, I love that feeling. I love 
warm water running over my skin in the shower. I love the way that feels. And I have been known to stand there until there's no hot water left. That's how much I love it. I love the texture and the taste of apples, especially Granny Smith apples. I like that I can get in my car and it warms up fast and I can travel with ease hundreds of miles in a matter of hours. I love the comfort of getting into my bed at night in those nice, especially when the sheets are clean. And I really love the feeling of a whole mass of blankets on top of me, especially this week. I noticed that a lot of my gratitude this week had to do with keeping warm. (laughs) A lot of my joy in the ordinary comes from this just living out life and our faith is actually an embodied kind of faith. It's something that we, it's full-bodied. We believe that you can't separate faith from all the ordinary, mundane, everydayness of everything. You can't. It's part of it. Our faith celebrates moments of divine intervention when the star appears and seekers follow the star. That's divine intervention. We celebrate that. We celebrate when they're the sick are healed and the dead raised to life. We celebrate those moments of divine intervention. But we also celebrate God's presence in the mundane every day. And so many of the promises in Scripture have to do with, I am with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you step by step, day by day, no matter what you experience. No matter what comes in 2018, God is with you. And I know this is true because the Magi followed a star 600 miles, found the baby Jesus in the manger, celebrated with great joy, and then went home. So I got some, maybe some suggestions, maybe an invitation for you this morning to think of a couple things. The most ordinary thing I could think of was breathing. Um... Often we don't think about breathing, although now you are all thinking about your breathing. (laughs) On the average, a resting person breathes 16 breaths a minute, which turns into 960 breaths an hour, which turns into 23,040 breaths a day, which turns into about 8.5 million breaths a year. And most of those breaths you never think about. Every once in a while something really spectacular and great happens and it takes your breath away, Or there's some great tragedy that takes the breath out of you. But most of our life is spent just breathing, normal, everyday breathing. So I think of ordinary practices as like breathing. And we have two practices that we think as a church are really important to celebrate God's goodness in step-by-step, day-by-day living. The first one is gathering every week to worship. We think that when we gather here together with God's people, I think it's like breathing in. We, We breathe in. God's truth and God's goodness and God's greatness. We breathe in the joy that comes from being part of a community. We just breathe in life, you know, when we gather together. It's part of what gives us vitality, gathering. And then the second part of what gives us life is we go out, and that's like breathing out. And when we go out, we love each other, and we love our neighbors, and we love our spouses and our kids, and we do life together. And many of us do that in cell groups or small groups where we like We're experiencing life and encouraging one another, breathing in God's truth and then going out to share God's love. This is the rhythm of life. And I guess I'd like to invite you or encourage us or maybe think about 
making a commitment in 2018 to ordinary breathing, weekly coming together to worship and breathe in, and then weekly going out to love our neighbors, breathing out. Um, and we're going to actually add a little wrinkle to the breathing in and breathing out part by encouraging us to spend more time in this year breathing in Jesus. And so we're actually starting a reading program that starts tomorrow, and it's in the bulletin insert, of reading the Gospels, thinking that between now and the end of Lent, we can actually read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four Gospels, if we just read one chapter every day. So by dwelling in the Word here on Sunday when we gather, we'll breathe in Jesus. When you go home and read these passages on your own, dwell in the Word, you'll breathe in Jesus, and that will maybe help us be better breathing out living in community and loving our neighbors and stuff. So I'm just offering that up as a suggestion. We don't really know what happened with the Magi when they went home. A lot of what I said today was pure speculation about that. But I know that by imagining that, it helps me recognize this, that every step I'm going to take every day in the next year, I know this. God is going to go with me. And I know that because the Magi followed the star 600 miles and found baby Jesus and were overjoyed, and then they went home. Dear Lord God, we give you thanks for this day, and we thank you for the year that you've given to us. We celebrate. There were many ordinary days, but there were also some really great special days that we celebrate, and we thank you. And we look forward to what you're going to do in this coming year. Pray that your spirit would guide us, and we will thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.